Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hello, Chandler! That's my spooky voice. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Um, uh... So, yes, we are uh, doing things, uh, uh, well, I mean, the the listening audience already knows uh, how spooky this episode uh, is going to get. Um, we are doing our Halloween episode. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, when it is at least dropped, will be uh, the Friday before Halloween. Um, you may be listening to it years from then, but uh, that is uh, when this episode is dropped. <laughs> uh, and uh, so... Uh, uh, Mom, uh, uh, you you take it away with uh, introductions and if you want to give any shout outs or anything. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all ready for spooky Halloween. Um, I just want to say hi. And also, um, I think that there is a very interesting listening competition going on between our friends in Australia and our friends in Ireland, which is very exciting. So thank you all, everyone, all over the world and in the United States and down home here in Texas for listening to our show. We're so happy you're there uh yes uh so uh we're uh, very happy for all of the uh, support and all the downloads and listens that we get um from all of our friends uh in our uh, wonderful country and in this wonderful world and uh as it stands right now uh, i mean the the number one country listening to us is uh, our home the united states um but uh at least eight uh, percent of our total listening audience uh, is in ireland and about six percent is in australia and uh the two countries kind of just uh leapfrog uh, between episodes as to who is listening more and that just uh, is fascinating that our uh 
uh, our our little uh, dog and pony shows being listened to um, <laughs> by uh, people thousands uh, of miles away. Um, for those of you, if uh, you have uh, chosen uh, this uh, rather spooky episode as our uh, as your first episode of our podcast, uh, then welcome. Uh, the way that we do things here is that uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment our our uh, historical figure was born. Uh, now you, the listening audience, already know who our uh, a rather spooky historical guest is, um, and I, of course, know because I selected the person. But mom, do you have any idea who we'll be talking about today? Nope. I never know at all. I have no idea. I have the absolute hardest thing to do ever. Uh, but that's what makes such a compelling podcast episode. <laughs> uh, so uh, I will give that data. She'll create the chart, uh, and then she will do her best uh, using uh, her uh, uh, astrological abilities uh, to ascertain the personality traits and fortunes of our mystery history guest. Um, I will then reveal to her uh, who our guest is and then uh, go over a little bit of that person's background, what they did, and then we'll come together at the end and uh, figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. All right, let's go. Uh, so this is a male. Okay. Born on the 7th. Uh-huh. Of December. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. 1431 J-U-L. Okay. Do we have a time? 3.18 a.m. <gasps> How did we get this time? Uh, That's very good. Mm -hmm. And then where? Romania. Ooh, Romania. This is where your sister has considered having her wedding. Because she's a vampire. If Not vampires really, uh, really <laughs> liked Whataburger. Uh, then, yeah. I know! Uh, Romania. Okay. Uh, do we know what town? Uh, so, uh, uh, it is uh, Segizora, and I will go ahead and spell that for you. <laughs> That's um, good. S I G H Is this I S right here? Yes, yes. Segorzia. Segorzia. Whoa. Uh okay. So Wow, I can't believe you have a birth time on this. Uh All right. So we have 3.18 a.m., right? Yep. Okay. All right. So, this person has a sun in Sagittarius at 23 degrees, moon in Capricorn at 18 degrees, Mercury at 0 degrees Capricorn, Venus at 9 degrees Aquarius, Mars at 14 degrees Aquarius, Jupiter at 8 degrees Gemini, 
Saturn at 23 degrees Capricorn, Uranus at 25 degrees Aries, Neptune at 18 degrees Leo, Pluto at 9 degrees Cancer, uh, North Node at 9 degrees Aquarius, and Chiron at 12 degrees Pisces, and this person has Scorpio rising. <laughs> okay, so very interesting. Um, all right. Wow. So this person, I'm going to start with their North Node in the third house. Interesting. They have all of this Capricorn in their third house. Let me double check. No, Capricorn and Aquarius, because these are Capricorn and this is Aquarius. Okay. Their sun is in the second house, conjunct their Mercury. Their moon is conjunct Saturn. Wow. That's rough, especially in Capricorn. That's, that's very rough. Then Venus conjunct North Node in the third house. Mars in the fourth house in Aquarius. And Chiron in Pisces. I'm just kind of going around the chart. Neptune in the 10th house in Leo. Mm. Pluto in the 9th house in Cancer. Jupiter and Gemini in the 8th house. Uh, Uranus in the 6th house. Okay. Well, uh, Scorpio rising in the first house at two degrees, which also gives you a little bit of that Libra, right? So maybe this person was really good looking. All right. It's possible. And, uh, there are no planets in the first or the 12th house to pull from as far as the houses go. But I would assume that this person was really, uh, possibly mysterious, that dark, bad boy kind of, uh, way about him. Uh, but also like in that way that it's like, okay, well, you don't look scary, but I think you're scary. And there's this thing that some women do where they're going to uh, make them better. And I don't think you could make him better. He's going to be what he's going to be. He has sun and Mercury in the second house in Sagittarius, which tells me he's going to do what he's going to do whenever he wants to do it. And he also probably was very uh, appealing, like um, friendly seeming, uh, but that doesn't mean he really was friendly. It just means that he came across that way because of the sun and Mercury in Sagittarius. Now this Mercury is zero degrees Capricorn. Okay. So it's actually, you know, cause I'm looking at it here, but it is actually zero degrees Capricorn, which gives him the ability to 
gregariously manipulate people if he wants to uh, through unassuming ways. Like, because he's zero degrees Sag Capricorn in his Mercury, he kind of has this unassuming way of getting people to do what he wants them to do, if that makes any sense. Moon conjunct Saturn in Capricorn? No, thank you. I would not want this for me because it's bad enough to have Moon in Capricorn, but to have Moon conjunct Saturn in Capricorn, that's really rough because Moon in Capricorn already has a disconnect and a, a foreign feeling for emotion. Uh, but having moon conjunct Saturn in Capricorn is like, mm, it could be very disconnected from emotion. So able to control your emotions that you can literally turn them off. And with it in Capricorn, if you turned off your emotions and your empathy and everything, uh, then you could basically be monstrous because you have no human feeling. You don't have the ability to feel human feelings once you turn that off. And uh, in the Vampire Diaries, they turn off their emotions all the time. And when they do this, then they can literally kill anyone and drink all their blood and just revel in it as if it were uh, a party because they have no emotions. But then <laughs> in the narrative, when they turn them all back on, they're, they're devastated by what they did while their, emer their emotions were turned off. So there's that. Also, Moon and Capricorn would make your mother probably really possibly cold and uh, unfeeling towards you. And it's in the third house, the house of childhood, the house of uh, communications, the house of... Uh, elementary learning, um, siblings. So there's definitely some kind of, um, controlling situation here. Um, Venus in Aquarius conjunct by degree. See, this is nine and this is 10, right? Chandler, mm -hmm. uh, in Aquarius should make you want to help humanity. And then we have, con on this side, we have Venus. Here's North Node at 10. Here's Mars at 14. So we have all three of these planets conjunct by degree in Aquarius. It should make this person very humanitarian oriented. But dark side of that is total totalitarianism meaning and with this capricorn as far as the emotions are concerned uh this person could be um a a a, a dictator that would be like a robot you know what i mean like there is no human emotion in this it is simply power it's about power that's one side okay the other side of that is that if this person were using these things for good, uh, they could be very um, humanitarian. 
They could be very uh, caring and protective of their homeland. Uh, but in, in, it, so it, it could be that this person could be a very good, uh, leader in their home because it's Mars, right? So it's, it's Mars and Aquarius in the fourth house, which is, um, uh, very protective and, and warrior-like about your home. Okay. Um, and then Chiron and Pisces, hmm, there's a little bit right there of some humanity. <laughs> There's a little humanity right there. The Chiron and Pisces in the fourth house, but meaning to heal the homeland, meaning to heal. Somehow, I don't know, maybe this person is thinking that if they do these things, that they're going to heal their homeland. It is possible that maybe there is a rhyme to their reason you know or a reason to their rhyme in their mind of why they're doing the things that they do because this is very intense right here this is a very intense person and quite the hunter okay because it is their values in the second house it is it's what they do they hunt they ride up on it and conquer it, you know, not the same as an, as an Aries. This is more about whole groups of people. All right. This is not one-on-one. -on -one. Then we have a uh, Pisces on the fifth house cusp and there's nothing in that house. We have Aries on the sixth house cusp and we have Uranus there and we have Uranus at 25 degrees Aries. Oof. This person, uh, this person could have lightning-like, um, anger, passion, um, also bringing unique and never seen before aspects to warlike things. Because see, having Aries on the sixth house is kind of like having your career in warlike things. Or you approach your career like a warrior. Is any of this making sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, we have seventh house cusp is Taurus and there's nothing in that house. We have eighth house cusp uh, is Gemini and they have Jupiter there. Jupiter and Gemini in the eighth house could make this person have a legacy that is <laughs> like almost like not just known on the planet, but also known off the planet. Like it's huge. Like having Jupiter in the eighth house is quite the legacy. And in Gemini, Interestingly enough, it should be somehow communications, uh, siblings, um, technology, certain, not, not like, not like Aquarius technology, but communication technology, maybe. Um, and, inheritance and also like 
Jupiter makes everything bigger, right? It makes Ju wherever Jupiter is, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. Like if you have Jupiter in the first house, you could be a very big person or you could be, have a very expansive personality or you could have, you could even be just overweight, you know, but, um, in the eighth house, it's going to make all those eighth house things bigger. So secrets and hidden things and the occult and, um, uh, death and rebirth. Death. Oh, maybe, maybe lots of death. Okay. Uh, then we go to ninth house cusp is cancer and they have Pluto in their ninth house. That's crazy because ninth house is the house of your dogma and your religion and your education higher education, like university education and travel and international, um, people and with Pluto there, um, cause Pluto is, you know, the occult and dark magic and, um, hidden things and secret things and, and, and taboo things. So it's possible if this person is some sort of villain that their religion, their dogma is very, very dark. It's very possible that it is extremely dark, but if they're not a villain, then this Pluto would lend power to this cancer nurturing power. Uh, I don't know why, but I think this is probably dark with all this down here. Um, then we have Midhaven in Leo and Neptune in Leo in the 10th house with 10th house being the career and Leo being very dramatic and very opulent and very egotistical. Um, well, on the dark side, <laughs> I have Leo rising, so I'm just a puppet. And uh, having Neptune there, which is ruled, I mean, Neptune rules Pisces, which is psychic ability and, and occult and, and, and hidden things and illusions and, uh, all of these things, but very dramatic. Like if this person were in show business, they would have an amazing career in filmmaking because they have the power to harness this illusion theatrically, like a lot of theatrics, so many theatrics in their career. They're very dramatic in their career and very opulent and uh, possibly king-like leader, illusions, magic, maybe dark magic. Uh, then 11th house cusp is Virgo. There's nothing in that house, um, but it would make them be kind of very analytical and possibly dry towards groups of people that Virgo on the 11th house could be 
I mean, Virgo on the 11th house could make you a fabulous worker, you know, and working with people and all that. But in this situation, I feel like with the rest of the chart, this person probably sees people possibly as the workers like, oh, well, those are the workers and I'm over here above them sort of thing. And then 12th house cusp is Libra. And there's nothing in that house. Uh, but, um, well, that could make them very nar narcissistic. On the dark side, it could make them very loving and good on the good side. Uh, is any of this making any sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so do you have any questions for me? Yes. Um, could you go into a little bit more detail as to what his childhood might look like? Well, I'm thinking his childhood was very controlled. Probably not happy. Very strict, maybe. Maybe this person had to become an adult when they were a child. If we have the rising sign correct, you know what I mean? Because this is a long time ago, so we might not have the rising sign correct. But it, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, what role does religion play in his life? Um, <laughs> whatever this person's dogma is, is extremely powerful. Because they have Pluto in the ninth house. So whatever their religion is... It is intense, but also death and rebirth. I mean, it is possible that this person could like walk away from religion to do their own power. Maybe there's a lot of power regarding ninth house things in this chart. This person could have been a world traveler this person could have been a high priest. This person could have been um, whatever they are with regard to travel and education and religion. It's very powerful. What would his relationship to his siblings be? I think that there is some sort of controlling aspect to his siblings because he has moon conjunct Saturn and in the third house in Capricorn. And then he has Venus and North node in the third house in Aquarius conjunct his Mars and Aquarius in the fourth house. So it is possible that his siblings were extremely important to him because he has North node there, right? So his siblings could have been his direction, um, communication. And, and he could have been very close. Like he, he and his siblings were a group maybe because it's Aquarius, which is groups of people. So there's that. 
but he's got that moon conjunct Saturn. So I almost want to say that his mother didn't like him, but his mother liked the other children. I don't know if that's a thing in this. There's definitely a lot of lessons with the mother and emotions and control of the mother and emotions and all that. What role would violence play in his life? Well, um, he has Uranus and Aries. So he could be very violent if, if he wanted to be. Um, he has Mars and Aquarius in the fourth house. So typically Mars and Aquarius is more humanitarian passion for humanity. But with this Mars and Aquarius in the fourth house, and then having Chiron in Pisces in the fourth house, it is possible that this person believes they are fighting for the people, maybe, but their temper, oh, because they have this Uranus and Aries in the sixth house. They have this ability to lightning strike in their work, which I'm assuming their work has to do with maybe warlike things. This person could be very violent with no regard if, if this is the dark side. You know what I mean? With no regard at all because they turn it off. They have the ability to literally turn off their emotions. And this is real. Uh, in order to do what they need to do, they have to turn it off. Imagine like different, you know, careers in the world where people must turn off their emotions in order to do what they're doing. You know what I mean? This person has this power. Mm -hmm. And Neptune, that's also like weirdness, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, if it's an Aries, that could be a weirdness and uniqueness in the realm of violence. Well... He has Uranus in, in Aries. This right. is Uranus. Yes. But Neptune he has in Leo in the 10th house. So he has the ability to cloak himself uh, or create the illusion or even deal with magic in his career. Like if he's dealing with dark magic, see this Pluto in the 9th house? That could be dark magic, really dark, very scary. Could be. You know, I mean, the and then this this Neptune in the 10th house in Leo, that's a very dramatic illusion. All right. Magic. What kind of value would he put on honor? Well, here's the interesting thing. <laughs> His values are Sagittarian. So... Typically, Sagittarians are law keepers as long as they believe the law is correct. Sagittarians have this really interesting way of dancing back and forth across the line when they don't feel that particular law 
is right or necessary. But at the same time, typically Sagittarians can be, you know, officers, uh, keeping, keeping the peace. You know what I mean? So, uh, he has sun and Mercury. Well, he has, he's got Mercury in the second house in Capricorn. Having Mercury in Capricorn can make, can give you the ability to manipulate words, you know, but Mm. I mean, it, I, once I know who this is, I might be able to get better clarity on whether we're dealing with light side or dark side or both or whatever. I would not want to hang out with this guy. No? No, I would not because there's too much going on here for me to feel comfortable that I could ever, ever trust this guy. This guy has a lot going on under this, under the surface. And it is, it could be very dark. So you wouldn't say he's trustworthy? No, I would think people think he is, but he's got an agenda. I mean, all people with Capricorn placements have a long-term plan. And I'm going to say most of the time it's very good. It's usually just like career oriented, but this kind of emotional damage with this moon conjunct Saturn in the third house of childhood. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's, that's, I wouldn't want this in my chart and I have moon in Capricorn, but it's in the fifth house and uh, I would not want this. It's bad enough that I have moon and Capricorn at all. It is not pleasant to have moon and Capricorn. Hello, moon and Capricorn people. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> if there was uh, an unsavory job that needed to get done in his eyes, um, would he be averse to doing it himself? Would he want someone else to do it for him? No, no. He would want to do it himself. He would want to do it himself because he can turn his emotions off. So it's easier for him to do it because he can literally shut it off. He can pull the plug and do whatever. He could do anything because he is capable of pulling that plug. That's what I see. What kind of leader would he be? I would imagine he would be a very formidable leader. This person has the ability to draw the wool over everyone's eyes and lead them to a place where they're not even realizing it's good or bad. They're just following him, you know? I feel that this person has a lot of power. If this person felt betrayed, what would they be capable of? Anything. Anything at all. This person could do anything. You can imagine the worst. Whether they would do this... Like some people would say, you know, uh, 
let's say like we have Henry VIII, right? And Henry VIII would just chop somebody's head off. This person, I feel, would kind of enjoy the journey. This Pluto in the ninth house in Cancer could be very nurturing, but Pluto, it could be really dark. I mean, this guy has some serious potential to be very dark. What would his legacy be? <laughs> well, uh, scary. Um, okay. Light side, if this is a light person, whatever's going to happen with this person, they're going to have a legacy because they have Jupiter in the eighth house. Okay. But with this Jupiter in the eighth house in Gemini, I would think that people would talk about this person far and wide. It is, it is well known because it's, his legacy is communicated everywhere because Jupiter is huge, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, whatever his legacy is, everybody knows about it. I want, like I said, it's like whatever his legacy is, it's not just known on this planet. It's known out in the universe. Like this person, whatever they did is talked about that Gemini everywhere, the Jupiter. Uh, are there any other impressions that uh, you get off of this chart? Well, I feel that in a way, this person's direction, because it's North Node, right, is connected to third house things, siblings, like whatever instigated their direction happened possibly in their childhood or had to do with siblings. Uh and communication. It's almost like maybe this person was forced into whatever it is they ended up being uh, through lessons with emotions and siblings. But they also really enjoy what they're doing because it's Venus. See, Venus conjunct North Node conjunct Mars. They like the warrior aspects of what they're doing, if that makes any sense. They enjoy it, Venus. They love it. So... Light side, they would be very heroic in what they do for the people. Um, I mean, even it's possible that this person could be a hero to the people either way. I don't know. We, I don't know until I know who they are. I, I can just tell you the light side, dark side. 
of each aspect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But this Uranus in the sixth house, they could do anything at work. You, whatever their work is, whatever their day to day is, they bring this element of unexpected warlike behavior, unique warlike behavior, never done before warlike behavior. All of these things are Uranus because Uranus is unique. Uranus is uh, futuristic. Uranus is technical. Uranus is all the things that an Aquarius is, right? But it's in Aries. So it has to do with warlike or passionate. They could be, but it's Uranus. So it's not like it's uh, Pluto. If any of that's making sense. Are you ready for the uh, summary of our findings? Yes. First thing you said is that he could be uh, really good looking. Uh, he is mysterious, dark, uh, possibly a bad boy. Uh, there is an aura of scariness about him. Uh, a woman might look at him as a project, uh, someone that they could tame. Uh, he is determined. Uh, he could be. Uh, uh, he could appear uh, very friendly. Uh, he uh, can be uh, gregarious uh, in order to manipulate people. Uh, he can manipulate people through unassuming means. Uh, emotions are foreign to him. Uh, he. He can be a very disconnected to emotions. He can turn off emotions and empathy. Uh, he can be monstrous. He can have no feeling. Uh, he possibly had a cold mother. Uh, this person wanted to help humanity, um, but possibly is a totalitarian. Uh, he could be a robot dictator. Uh, he uh, can be simply concerned with power. This person uh, could be protective of their homeland, uh, warrior-like about the home. Uh, his uh, the, What little humanity he may have um, uh, would be in service of the homeland. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe that they... Uh, will do horrible things uh, for the homeland in order to heal the people. Mm -hmm. uh, he can be very intense. Uh, he can be quite the hunter, um, but not a hunter of individuals, uh, a ride, someone who rides and conquers whole mm -hmm. groups of people. Mm -hmm. He can have a lightning-like anger and passion. Uh, he has unique aspects uh, to warlike things. Uh, he uh, will approach his career as a warrior. He has a huge legacy. He is universally known. <laughs> uh, there is a possible communication about technology. Um, there is could be a lot of death in his life and a possible connection to the occult. Uh, his religion and dogma could be very dark. Um there is a, a, a power in nurturing. Uh, he could be opulent, dramatic, egotistical. 
again, dramatic. Um, there, uh, something about illusions. Illusions are very important to him. He can create very large illusions. He can harness illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be a possible king or leader. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a possible connection to dark magic. Uh, he is analytical uh, and can be dry and analytical towards groups of people. And he may see um, people uh, as less than him, that there are mm-hmm. people who are workers who are beneath him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be very narcissistic. Uh, his childhood um, was very controlled, not happy, strict. Uh, adulthood may have been thrust upon him at an early time. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogma is extremely powerful. Uh, he could possibly walk away from religion uh, to harness his own power. Mm-hmm. He could be a world traveler. He could be a high priest. Uh, he uh, has a controlling aspect uh, to siblings. Uh, siblings are very important in the direction of his life. He could be very close to his siblings, uh, the family, the siblings as one group, but it's also possible that his mother didn't like him and favored the other siblings. Mm-hmm. He could be very violent. Uh, he believes that uh, he is fighting for the people. Uh, he uh, could be uh, very fast, lightning strike uh, abilities in war, mm-hmm. uh, violence uh, with no regard. Uh, he can turn off his emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, law keeper. He could be a keeper of a just law, but if uh, he doesn't believe that the law is just, he will circumvent it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to hang out with him. Uh, You don't believe him to be trustworthy, uh, Mm -hmm. and he definitely has an agenda. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, If if something needs to be done uh, that is uh, dirty, he will do the dirty work because Mm -hmm. he can shut off his humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is a formidable leader. Uh, He could pull the wool over the eyes of people and take them uh, where they don't realize. He has a lot of power. Uh, he is capable of doing uh, worst uh, to he he is capable of doing the worst uh, to a person who has betrayed him, and he would enjoy the journey of punishment and retribution. Right. Uh, he has a scary legacy. Uh, no matter what he did, he will definitely have a legacy. People would talk about him far and wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, childhood, siblings, communication instigated the direction of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was forced into what he became because of the childhood and siblings. I think so. Uh, he likes the warrior aspects of what he does. Uh, he uh, could be seen as very heroic uh, for what he did for the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what he did, good or bad, he could be seen as a hero to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, can be unexpected, unique, and novel in his warlike behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add? I don't think so. Not right now until I kind of know who, if I even know who this is. I don't know if I'll know who this is. Would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes. This 
is the astrological birth chart of Vlad Dracula. <gasps> I was joking about vampires because of Romania, but uh, yeah, I'm good. I do not want to hang out with Vlad Dracula. Him not my kind of people. I just, uh-uh, no thank you. But I'm very interested to hear what you have on Vlad Dracula Chandler, because I know it's going to be good. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who may not know, um, Dracula, the novel by Bram Stoker, who uh, then went on to be in uh, lots of movies uh, throughout the 20th and, and 21st centuries, um, was based, well, not really based, but the name comes from a real person. Um, so Vlad Dracula uh, was a leader in what is now Romania. Um, it was uh, at his time a, a part of what became Romania called Wallachia. And no matter if you have read the book of Dracula or you have watched any movie, um, nothing compares to the horrors of the true Vlad Dracula. Um, the novel and the movies uh, give you this idea of this count who is a vampire who is very elegant and will wine and dine you and uh, then uh, suck your blood and you either also become a vampire or you die. Mm. Most of Dracula's enemies would have really liked that compared to what he did to them. Mm. Uh, Vlad Dracula is uh, also known uh, as Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. Um, That's not good. <laughs> no. That's bad. That's uh, very bad. So, um, uh-uh. Vlad Dracula was born in 1431 uh, in Transylvania. Uh, this uh, is an area of what is now Romania at this time. Transylvania was sort of north of Wallachia uh, and uh, uh, in in Hungary. Uh, the home that he was born in, you can still see to this day, uh, in the 1600s, it was made into a three-story structure. Back in the 1400s, it was a single story. Mm. Um, but you can go uh, to that town that I have a difficulty pronouncing, and <laughs> uh, you can see that house. Um, so uh, Vlad Dracula was son of uh, Vlad Dracul, uh, and... Uh, Dracul, uh, that was not his last name. Uh, he was given that last name by a uh, Polish uh, ruler, uh, Zygismund of Poland, who uh, made him in the uh, Order of the Dragon. Dracula, Dracul, uh, is Romanian for dragon. Um, the Order Ooh. of the Dragon was this religious order, uh, this uh, um, military order. Um, and I think that it's important. Uh, I'm going to give just a little bit of background of where we are in the world and uh, in world history. Uh, so uh, especially coming off of our last episode uh, with Julius Caesar, uh, who is sort of uh, uh, the uh, uh, founder of the Roman Empire. Uh, so just to get you caught up to where we are now. Um, so Rome becomes an empire that stretches across the Mediterranean. 
Mediterranean. Um, through hundreds of years, uh, Constantine brings the uh, Romans into Christianity. Um, eventually, uh, Constantine uh, sets up his. He want he doesn't want to be in Rome anymore. He wants to be in his own city, Constantinople. The Roman Empire is split in half. The Eastern Empire, the Western Empire, um, around the five hundreds, uh, the uh, Goths and Visigoths come in and sack the western part. Uh, so all of what we know of as Italy and Rome, um, and that kind of ends the Roman Empire there. But on the eastern half, um, around Asia Minor, what we know as Turkey today, uh, and the Balkans and the Middle East, um, the uh, Roman Empire uh, kept going. Uh, it was now known as the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm. um, but they had uh, some neighbors uh, to the east uh, who uh, were pract practitioners of the newly found religion of Islam. And uh, eventually they start piece by piece taking uh, what was part of the Byzantine Empire. Um, a lot of that area, Greece and Turkey and what we know as the Balkan Peninsula, so Bulgaria, Romania, um, those uh, became hotly contested areas between the Ottomans and uh, the rest of Europe uh, to the north. Uh, so this area of Transylvania and Wallachia was sort of the the border. It was the absolute gate to uh, Christendom. Um, so it became very important for all of Europe. Uh, to, all eyes were on this area that Dracula came from um, mm. because uh, the Ottomans were coming. The Ottomans were going to take over Europe. Uh, mm -hmm. They were going to take. They had already taken Spain. Spain is under uh, uh, Muslim control. Uh, uh, it's slowly getting uh, taken back by Christendom. But um, so it, it, they feel the, that Europe is in the pincers of the the Islamic rulers, mm -hmm. and uh, that that would be the end of Christendom. So uh, it, there's a lot of pressure put onto this little region um, to be the bulwark of Christendom. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there are rulers uh, throughout this area of Europe who start sending money and men uh, to uh, Transylvania and Christendom. And uh, one of these leaders uh, who is in Transylvania and Wallachia is Vlad Dracula's father, uh, mm. proves himself as a, a good warrior. And so Sigismund of Poland makes him into the Order of the Dragon. And so then he becomes Dracul. Mm -hmm. uh, Dracula is that that a means son of Dracul. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, that so he's born in 1431 um, and Dracul is not the leader of um, the the province that he comes from. He's not uh, the leader of Wallachia. Um, that uh, ha he is actually the illegitimate son of one of the rulers of Wallachia. So the legitimate sons uh, get their chance to rule at first, and then they get killed off. And then in 1436, Dracul comes in, and he becomes uh, the uh, voivo, uh, that is the um, warrior uh, uh, chieftain of Wallachia. Mm. Um, and... As I said before, this is the border between the Ottomans and Christendom. So 
in order to survive, he has to make deals with both of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, otherwise, the Ottomans can send an army into this little province anytime they want. It's just going to take a lot more effort. And really, they they just want the money. So... Mm The uh, uh, Dracul starts making these contracts with the Ottomans and he sends them money. And then the people up in Hungary are saying, well, now you're making negotiations with the Ottomans. Are you going to become uh, one of them? Or can we trust you? So it's a really tough position to be in uh, diplomatic wise. Um after a few years, uh, Dracul uh, stopped sending the payments to the Ottomans, and that makes the Ottomans upset. Mm. Um, he also starts sending troops to help in the Crusades. Uh, so the Crusades are going on all through this time as um, people from all over Europe are trying to uh, take the Holy Land back from the Ottomans. In 1444, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, uh, Murad II, um, demands to see Dracul. And uh, so Dracul goes. He goes into Ottoman territory uh, and he takes his sons with him. He takes Vlad Dracula and uh, his younger brother Radu. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sultan uh, takes them uh, captive. Uh, so he holds Dracul and Dracula and Radu. Uh, And eventually, Dracul is able to make a deal uh, where he can go back to Wallachia as long as he keeps making these payments. And he sends uh, 500 boys a year to be uh, taken into the Ottoman army. And the Ottomans will hold on to uh, Dracula and Radu. uh, And that they will be uh, educated uh, in the Ottoman way. Um. So now, uh, at the age of uh, uh, just around uh, 12 uh, or so, 13, uh, Dracula is now held captive by the Ottomans, and he Mm -hmm. um, uh, is reared under them. And it's not necessarily like he is a a slave being, you know, made to do menial tasks. The Ottomans have this long-term plan where if they can get this young boy to believe in not even uh, Islam, but just believe in the Ottoman way of doing things, then they put him on the throne in Wallachia and they have a lifetime uh, prince. Uh, who who will be in favor of them. So he is educated as uh, Ottomans are. Uh, in fact, he goes to uh, the same tutors that the Sultan's son, Mehmed, uh, goes to, and they all know each other. They're all about the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it be, uh, Dracula being already uh, nearly in his teens when this has started, uh, he has nothing but resentment for this. He he mm-hmm. sees, even though he has some freedom, he can go into the town and he can do these things, he knows he's a captive. Mm-hmm. And he knows um, that he is uh, 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 under uh, the strict watch of the Ottomans. And he uh, rebukes this. He rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is punished severely many times. There, there are times that they say that Dracula was um, tied to a post and whipped many mm-hmm. times uh, because uh, he he just simply did not uh, uh, acquiesce to mm-hmm. the will of the Ottomans. On the other hand, his younger brother Radu um, falls right in. Uh, he is a little bit younger. Uh, he is about five or six when this starts to happen. So he really doesn't even remember a life in Wallachia. And mm-hmm. he just sees the opulence of the Ottomans and... and um, 
you know the the, the Ottoman Empire is uh, uh, so far advanced compared to medieval Europe because uh, the Goths and everyone kind of burned all the libraries, uh, but the Ottomans instead came in and kept all of the libraries. So there's yes. all this ancient knowledge still, and they are um, pioneers in astro- uh, astronomy and um, uh, uh, all these different scientific things. And Radu just takes right up into it, and it is said that Radu. Um, is uh, uh, more uh, has more genteel um, features, and in fact, he would be called Radu the Handsome. Oh. Um, eventually, uh, one of the or a, a few sources say that Radu and the Sultan's son Mehmed um, would be lovers. Oh. Um, uh, that was not going to happen with Dracula. Uh, he uh, was was really focused on getting out as soon mm-hmm. as possible. Um, during uh, the captivity, um, Dracul, the father back in Wallachia, um, starts to send more troops in with um, the Hungarians and the Christians uh, in their attempts to fight the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. When the Ottomans find this out, uh, they then make uh, his two sons uh, real prisoners, take them into the dungeon. Uh, And it is while he is in this captivity that uh, Dracula sees through his window uh, what the Ottomans are doing to punish uh, others. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the Ottomans would sometimes hang and sometimes behead, Mm -hmm. but they would also impale. Mm. Um, And so Dracula saw what the Turkish were doing uh, in this impaling process, and that was burned into his memory. Um, Eventually, uh, the uh, uh, inner politics of Wallachia um, uh, made it to where uh, the upper middle class, uh, who are called the boyars, um, were no longer pleased with Dracul. Uh, and so they got together with the Hungarians. Uh, there's this man named John Hunyadi, who is a huge fi- figure in uh, this era and in this area of the world. And uh, if I had more time, I would go more into his exploits. But he is a big figure. And he backs um, one of Dracul's enemies, Vat- Vladislav. And so Vladislav and the boyars inside of Wallachia, they um, make war against uh, Dracul and against uh, uh, his uh, uh, eldest son. Um, They uh, kill Dracul and then they find the oldest son uh, and he is uh, the ruler for a little bit and he tries to fight off Vladislav but eventually is uh, defeated. And it is said the boyars and Vladislav took a hold of the elder brother and they got hot coals and they Mm. burned his eyes out. And then uh, they buried him alive, face down in the ground. And that is how Vladislav came to power. Um, Once this happened, they knew that the Ottomans knew that Vladislav would not be uh, a a proponent or maybe not even pay the the taxes that the Ottomans would want. So they got the oldest uh, son that they had, Vlad Dracula, to go into Wallachia. Um, Vladislav, uh, along with John Hunadi, start uh, to invade into Ottoman territory, which allows them to leave Wallachia, leaving the throne open. And so uh, Vlad Dracula, along with an Ottoman army, goes in to Targoviste, which is the capital of Wallachia, and takes it. 
Um, but the uh, forces of Hunyadi and uh, Vladislav are defeated. So Vladislav comes back into Wallachia and he is able to defeat Dracula. Dracula mm-hmm. then goes back to the Ottomans and then he uh, sort of spends this uh, time just away from Wallachia. He, um, go, he's with the Ottomans for a while. Then he goes over to Moldova and there's a whole big deal that he does with helping uh, the uh, uh, the royal family in Moldova. And uh, there's a man who would later become Stephen the Great, uh, which I just think is an... Int- Stephen is not typically a name that I consider the great to be after. It's like Bob the Great. Um, uh, no, no, offense no offense to any Stevens. Um, uh, you are great. Really friendly. But it's just not... And yeah, so are the Bobs. Uh, yes, Bobs and Stevens it, it, are friendly people. They're yes. not the great right. conquerors. They're yes. just like the it, guy it, you have beer with. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, Vlad, Dracula, and Stephen, they get along real well. Um, <laughs> they go into exile together, and eventually uh, uh, Dracula uh, is able to patch things up with John Hunyadi, this big figure in Hungary. And uh, Hunyadi makes uh, Dracula the protector of Transylvania. Now, remember, at this time, Transylvania is part of Hungary. It's not part of Wallachia or Romania. Um, so uh, he becomes this protector of Transylvania. And uh, then uh, there start to be uh, these uh, uh, inklings of rebellion going on uh, within Wallachia and with Vladislav. Uh, and so uh, in uh, 1456, uh, Vlad Dracula invades uh, uh Wallachia, uh, and uh, he catches up with Vladislav, and uh, he challenges Vladislav to single combat. Uh, You and me fight each other, and that will be what determines who wins the Wallachia. Yes, everybody should do that. And uh, Vladislav agrees, and they uh, uh, go... Uh, into battle. Uh, They fight this duel for a while, and then eventually Dracula gets the upper hand and with a clean swipe beheads Vladislav. Wow. Uh, That makes Dracula now uh, the uh, voivode, the uh, leader of Wallachia. Mm -hmm. Um, The the reign, or at least this, uh, what is now, what is called the second reign of Dracula. Um, This is going to be the longest reign that he has as leader. Um, uh, uh, the first thing that he does is he gets a hold of the boyars. The boyars are uh, this upper class merchants and they, whoever they support uh, is the person who becomes the leader of Wallachia. But if that person disappoints them, then they just switch over. Um, they have no loyalty. They have uh, mm. they they switch uh, depending on what the winds uh, uh, go, and it is because of their influence that uh, Vladislav came to power. It is because of their influence that his uh, uh, father and brother were uh, brutally killed, mm. and uh, Dracula has uh, no fond feelings towards the boyars. Yeah, um, but uh, the boyars don't necessarily know this because. Uh, they don't see it as anything different than usual. One guy comes in, he beheads another guy. Uh, This is just how politics works at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, they see nothing uh, suspicious when Dracula hosts an Easter dinner and invites all the boyars to the palace. (laughs) 
I and, would. I'd have been very suspicious. <laughs> uh, so uh, they all go to this dinner. They bring their wives and their families, and they all go to the palace. And uh, Dracula is sitting at the head of the table, and uh, he asks them, um, how many princes uh, have you seen come and go in the last 50 years? And between them, they can't remember. They There's been such tumult and so many people that they have backed and then reneged on that they can't even give him an exact number. Uh, and uh, uh, this just makes Dracula even more angry at them. Mm-hmm. But he keeps his cool and he lets the dinner oh, go yeah. on. And uh, eventually uh, he gives the signal to the guards and they close off the doors and they bring in all of the guards in. And they take uh, all of the boyars and all of their families captive. Uh, and they have all of the uh, the adult men and women impaled. Uh, and then they take uh, all of the children uh, and make them slaves uh, to build uh, his new castle. And that's how uh, he got rid of at least a whole generation of the boyars. Oh, man. See what I mean about that manipulation and trusting him? You trust him, but he has a plan. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, in the border region above, uh, uh, the uh, above Wallachia is Transylvania, and inside of Transylvania, uh, the Hungarians and uh, the Wallachians, uh, they uh, at an earlier stage uh, encouraged German immigration into some of their towns um, because especially the Saxons were very good merchants and very good at making money. And if they're making money, then you can tax them and that makes more money for your coffers. Um, but they were still very ethnically German. Uh, mm-hmm. They uh, did not adapt well into uh, either Hungary or uh, uh, Wallachia and uh, were always sort of their own uh, colonies uh, inside this area. And uh, there's a dispute uh, and uh, uh, eventually these merchants say that they're not going to go and trade with Wallachia anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that uh, was not an acceptable position for Dracula. Uh, and so uh, he went into the Saxon colonies and uh, he uh, plundered and killed and burned uh, uh, the cities. And it is during this time that we get a lot of the uh, uh, stories of Dracula. These are written by Germans who are being uh, persecuted by Dracula, but it's hard to tell if they are all uh, true uh, because it seems a lot like there's a lot of propaganda and things that didn't actually Mm. happen. Um, Mm. But uh, as part of this, he did, uh, and this is where he gets the, the nom, uh, the nomaker, um, the impaler. Uh, Mm -hmm. He impaled uh, uh, thousands of these Saxons. Mm -hmm. And it is said that while they were on the poles and while they were uh, dying, that he would take out a table and he would eat his lunch amongst Mm -hmm. them. And uh, he would tell his servants uh, to uh, dip his bread in their blood and then he would eat it. And uh, at one point there was uh, another knight uh, who was holding his nose while this was happening because uh, thousands of people are dying and Mm -hmm. it is a stench. And um, 
Dracula says to him, are you, are you laughing at this? And the knight says, no, I just find the stench. It is so, uh, I can't handle it. Uh, my, my stomach, uh, it, it turns because of, mm-hmm. of the stench of this. Uh-oh. And uh, Dracula says, well, um, if that is so, then I think it is time that you join them. If you do <sighs> not have the stomach for death, then you cannot be one of my soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so his own fellow soldiers took him and impaled him. Mm-hmm. But because he had served Dracula so well, they put him on a pole much higher than everyone <sighs> else so that he would not have to suffer the stench. Um, oh, that's so horrible. Uh the reign of Dracula uh, inside of Wallachia, uh, in the capital, Tergoviste, um, he is known as the man who uh, got rid of all of the thieves. Um, uh, that uh, he wanted to make sure that his capital was immaculate uh, and that uh, uh, no one would, would steal from you. There was no petty crime. Um and uh, one of the ways he did this, he had a golden chalice that he put in the center of the town square. And he proved to everyone that his town uh, was so uh, uh, honorable <laughs> that uh, no one would ever dare touch that cup because everyone knew what would happen to them if they were caught. Uh-huh. Um uh, th- there are uh, stories where he would uh, dress up uh, as a peasant and go into the town uh, to see what the peasants were doing and, and uh, uh, what they were talking about. And I can just uh, imagine, uh, you know, a, a, a disguised Dracula going into the town. Hey, what about that Dracula guy, huh? <laughs> He's some pretty cool dude, huh? He has such a lovely mustache. And uh, the other saying, I don't know. Uh, he's kind of he's he's kind of weird. He he killed half of my family, and then that guy not being uh, seen anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Another story that comes from this time, there's an Italian merchant, and uh, he is making his way through the Balkans and going to the uh, Ottoman Empire, and he's trading. And um, he goes to the palace in Tergoviste, and he says, um, I, I, I want to lock up my goods so that no one will steal them. And Dracula says, there is no need for that. You stay here in the palace with me and leave your goods in the market square, and I promise that they will be untouched. The next day, the Italian merchant goes out, and there are 160 ducats that have been taken from his <gasps> wagon. Uh-huh. And uh, he goes to Dracula, and he says, someone has stolen 160 ducats. And Dracula says, rest assured, they will all be returned to you by tomorrow. And uh, when the Italian merchant goes tomorrow, uh, he ha- he counts the coins and he sees that there's something different. He counts it one, two, three times and all of the ducats have been returned and there's one extra. Uh-huh. And the Italian merchant goes to Dracula and he says, all of the ducats have been returned, but there's this one extra ducat and I must return it to you. And Dracula says, that is how I know that you are a noble person, that you are an honorable person. If you had not reported that extra ducat, I would have impaled you just the same as I did the thief. Oh. Um, 
going into the later part of the 1450s and going into the 1460s, Dracula stops making payments to the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. Uh, He decides that he is going to uh, link himself wholeheartedly to the Christian cause and to Christendom and that the Hungarians and other Christian kingdoms are going to have his back. And so he says that he's not going to need that. Um, And eventually uh, the the, the one-time schoolmate of his, Mehmed, um, becomes sultan of the Ottoman Empire. Uh Uh-oh. And... Uh, he sends some envoys to Tergoviste to talk to Dracula about this. And the Ottomans, uh, um, being Sunni Islam, uh, they uh, were wearing turbans. And uh, they go and approach Dracula, and Dracula says, you cannot wear those turbans here. Uh, and they say, no, this is part of our religion. We must wear these turbans. So Dracula says, all right, I will make sure that those turbans will stay on your head. And he nailed them. Uh <laughs> to their heads. The envoys not returning uh, to the Ottoman Empire, uh, Mehmed, uh, started to think, well, maybe uh, Dracula's not going to be making these payments after all. We better (laughs) go in and make sure that he does. Uh, And so uh, there is an invasion that occurs, and Mehmed brings uh, Vlad's brother Radu with him. And... uh, there, uh, the Ottomans bring 150,000 troops. Mehmed had all—he had just conquered Constantinople. This was the last little bit of the Byzantine Empire. It is now part of the Ottoman Empire, and he took all of these battle-hardened troops and went into Wallachia. And Vlad Dracula knew that he could not—that um, uh, his army was not big enough uh, to handle uh, the Ottomans alone. So he does a scorched earth policy. He retreats, uh, but he burns all of his own towns along the way to make sure that the Ottomans have no food, uh, nothing, as they approach the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, as the Ottomans make their way towards Tergoviste, um, they set up camp uh, a little bit away, and uh, Dracula says that he's had enough of this, and he is going to kill Mehmed himself. Uh, And so uh, he takes a few of his troops into the Ottoman camp and disguised as Ottomans because he had lived amongst them. He knows the Turkish language so Mm -hmm. he can subterfuge and get his way. And eventually he gets close and he sees this big uh, tent, uh, a lavish tent, and he knows that has to be where Mehmed is. And Mm -hmm. so then he unveils himself and then cuts his way through the Turkish lines leading up to the tent. And the tent did not hold Mehmed. The tent had some uh, very uh, lavish captain, uh, but it was not the sultan. Mm -hmm. The sultan had run away. Um, And uh, the sultan was so scared that he almost left his entire troops behind. Um, But eventually he is found and taken back into the camp, and they are going to go and lay siege to Tergoviste. And as they approach the capital... Uh, they see in the distance that it, it looks like there's a forest that surrounds uh, uh, the capital, but that that's not there's not supposed yeah. to be a forest there. And nope. as the Ottomans get closer, they smell uh. the stench of death. And it is not a forest; it is twenty thousand Turkish bodies impaled. Mm-hmm. Yes, in front of the capital. And yeah. I, I think that. Uh, it's important to understand that the process of impaling, it is not just getting stuck in your belly as many people oh, no. did. Oh, no, no, no. Um, That's not how it works. And, and uh, often That would be good. What Dracula would do is he would flip 
the poles on the other end to have the dull end. And he would grease that up and then insert mm-hmm. it into the rectum mm-hmm. of the enemy and then let gravity do its mm-hmm. work as it slowly entered your body, going mm-hmm. through your chest cavity. Somewhere mm-hmm. around there, you would have died from hemorrhaging, but it yeah. would have been a very slow and painful death. And eventually the pole <laughs> makes its way through and exits your chest or your throat or your mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. And the Ottomans, seeing 20,000 of their brothers impaled mm-hmm. like that, some of them still screaming, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it disheartened them so that they they left. Uh, the, they could not handle it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so they left Wallachia. Um, as they did that, they left just a small force, a small Ottoman army, and they left the brother, Radu. And Radu started getting back with the boyars, whoever was left, and saying, how do you like how Vlad's been treating you? I could treat you a lot better. And uh, we don't have to have all of this violence anymore. Just follow me. And yes, I'll give some money to the Ottomans, but that's okay. We'll have peace in our country once more. And his army got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually he chased Dracula out of Wallachia, mm-hmm. and, uh, Wallachia and Wallachia was in uh, uh, the Ottomans' hands once more with Radu, the handsome, the brother on the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracula then goes into another exile. He goes into Hungary, and not a whole lot is heard from him for about 17 years. Wow. Um, and uh, he is uh, in uh, Hungary. And uh, he is he's imprisoned by the um, the Hungarians there, but uh, very similar to how he was in the Ottoman Empire. It, it's a white collar prison. Uh, he is uh, allowed to uh, explore cities and he is allowed to uh, have lavish dinners. And he is often brought out as a negotiation tactic. Whenever the Hungarians have dealings with the Ottomans, they make sure that Vlad Dracula <laughs> is at the dinner. And that scares the Ottomans so much that they mm-hmm. give in many times to whatever the Hungarians want. Mm-hmm. Um, Vlad uh, marries uh, for another time to Hungarian royalty, um, shearing the lines between Wallachia and Hungary. Um, and uh, uh, there is one story uh, that says that uh, he has his own, uh, eventually he's given his own palace in Pest. Uh, so Budapest, that's two different cities uh, just across the river from each other. And so Pest is where um, uh, Dracula has his home. And at one night there is a thief and the thief uh, uh, is running away from the police and he uh, hops the wall into Dracula's mansion and oh, the police no. go in and they, they follow him. And Dracula finds the police and he finds the captain of the police and he beheads him. And uh, uh, the the royal family says, why did you do that? He was a police officer. He was trying to find the thief. And he says, the thief I can excuse. That is all he knows what to do. But the police should have come to me before entering my home. (gasps) And so I taught them a lesson. And there, there there, there was nothing else to do after that. Um, in 1475, Vlad's friend Stephen over in Moldovia. <laughs> I uh, love Stephen. He says that um, there's a new ruler in Wallachia and that he is not only just paying money to the Ottomans, he is having a full Ottoman army come in through Wallachia. We need Vlad back. 
And uh, so uh, the Hungarians release uh, Vlad Dracula, and he sort of parks outside of Transylvania for a while, um, just watching the situation in uh, Wallachia. Um, and uh, eventually uh, he uh, invades Wallachia. He becomes the uh, voivode one more time, uh, but continues this battle against the um, uh, uh, this new uh, leader uh, of Wallachia, and in uh, the struggle for the throne, uh, Dracula is killed in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is unknown exactly uh, where he is buried. A lot of people say that it may be a monastery right by the battlefield. Others say that he was buried um, near a monastery uh, near Bucharest. Um, and Bucharest, which is now a, a very well-known city, was sort of a city that he... Um, it was around, but he made it much bigger than what it was in uh, the 1400s. So mm-hmm. the prominence of Bucharest is really um, because of Dracula's influence. So, And that is just one aspect of the legacy of mm-hmm. Dracula. Um, whether people like it or not, uh, Dracula uh, did stop Ottomans uh, from crossing into Wallachia for an entire generation afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um while I was doing the research for uh, this episode, I, I kept thinking of um, Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men. Uh, that is uh, who Jack Nicholson plays. If you remember, you can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, as I am wont to do, I, I watch that speech uh, several times a year. Um, you can't handle the truth. You need me on that wall. You mm-hmm. don't like what I do, but mm-hmm. you are able to laugh at your cocktail parties under the blanket of freedom that I provide. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Dracula. Uh, Dracula yeah. was the bulwark of Christendom. Uh, he, uh, uh, the Ottomans were going to come in, and he prevented that for at least a little while because of some very nasty tactics. But he was in a time when everyone was using nasty tactics. He mm-hmm. just happened to put a new flair onto it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, to the people of Romania, he is a hero to this day mm-hmm. um, because of of what he did in defense of the country. Um, uh, to people uh, outside, uh, his tactics were were horrifying, um, and that's exactly what they were meant to be: uh, mm-hmm. make the enemy so frightened and terrified that they wouldn't dare uh, cross into that country again. Mm-hmm. Um, when Bram Stoker was putting together uh, his novel of, of, of what would become Dracula, um, he really didn't know a lot about Dracula. He had just heard the name once, and it wasn't mm-hmm. even part of the um, uh, uh, of the initial drafts of the book. Um, he was really focused on the Romanian tales and the uh, idea of vampires. And in fact, the Count's name was originally Vampire. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is, can be is the Romanian word for vampire. It was not mm-hmm. supposed to be uh, a lot of thinking being done, um, but uh, he just found this name, and it, it it struck such a chord with him that he had no choice but to make it the title of the book and make the man's name Count Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, 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 that's 
uh, probably the way that his legacy lives now, uh, more than anything than he actually did, is as this suave vampire who seduces uh, uh, people in the middle of the night. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, as gone through here, uh, the real Dracula was much more horrific. Absolutely. Um, this chart is probably accurate. I don't know if other astrologers have said, yeah, this is probably what it is because of whatever he went through in his childhood. It, it activated his North node into being the warrior, et cetera, et cetera. But I have a feeling that whatever you found in your research is nothing compared to what he actually experienced in his childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. And what made him into this North Node direction, this warrior? Because I have a feeling that whatever he experienced in his childhood was pretty horrific. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that he just saw it. It was also that he experienced really horrible things, probably. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing that his legacy is... You know what I mean? Like, it's Gemini. So his legacy is has been created, right? Like, it, it was written. Through conversations. Uh-huh. Through, I mean, but, in, the, in the 1400s, it was just people talking to others yes. about what happened. Yes. And, and it went around the universe. Yeah. It's crazy that, that it's right here. You know, it's all right here. This dark, dark, dark dogma. This hidden things. This, this... Also, here he's got all this Capricorn, right? But Sun in Sagittarius, if you are not loyal to a Sagittarius and you betray them, uh, you're going to need a lot of help because Sagittarius is going to be, in, in his own way, a Sagittarius is going to be loyal to you. Until you betray them, you know, and then when you betray them, there are no holes barred. There, there is no retribution for you in this way of thinking. So, and this, this Chiron in Pisces in the fourth house, the man's got 20,000 people up on pikes and he's doing it for his country, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, in a way, I think he's doing it for the country, but in a way, I think he really kind of likes it, you know? Yeah. He's got all that darkness, and he is somehow, you know, uh, just, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't even let my mind go there. It's too disturbing. But, um, yeah, you, uh, uh, this, all this Capricorn, and this uh, Mercury and Capricorn with no, when you turn off your humanity and you have this ability to manipulate and, and for whatever reason, people trust you at, while you have this agenda, that is a very intense Capricorn Mercury trait. And I can only imagine that there are many, many, high level business people who have mercury and capricorn who are able to turn off the humanity to overtake the other corporation 
and it becomes like, uh, like a war, right? You are conquering the other corporations so that you conglomerate all of your things into this one thing, right? But you have to be able to turn it off. And clearly he turned it off in his childhood. Mm-hmm. It was turned off then. He had to. Because the other side of that coin is that a moon in Capricorn or Venus in Capricorn will feel too much. They feel too much. You think a Cancer feels too much? You think maybe a Pisces feels too much? These people cannot handle how they feel. You know what I mean? Like it is so overwhelming to them that they must control it. It has to be controlled because if they let it out, it's out of control and and it's too painful. It hurts too much. So whatever happened to him, you know, whatever he saw, the the and I don't think it was just being beat with a whip. I really don't. I'm really sure that with that that Sagittarius son in Sagittarius, that rebellious Sagittarius in him, they were going to teach him one way or another. They were going to control him. And that is impossible. You cannot control in quotations, a Sagittarius. You can't, that's, that's the one sign out of all of them that literally will not give in. So what he did is he flipped it and he acted like they were you know what I mean? To get what he needed Mm -hmm. and what he wanted and what he wanted to do. And in order to do that, he had to shut it off. He had to turn off his humanity. And there's that. But And, and, you know, you talked about the direction and uh, that it was from childhood and Mm -hmm. from the sibling. And I think instead of thinking of the moon as the mother, this is all Mm -hmm. the stuff that's happening in captivity. It is what... Uh, the the Ottomans uh, and the Sultan and the family are doing to him. And this may be a little too abstract, but the symbol of the Ottoman Empire is the crescent moon. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Lessons from the moon. You see and, it, Channing? And, and that Lessons you know, would favor moon. one over the other, and they favored Radu over him. Yeah. And that, that caused the direction wow. for the rest of it. Wow. And also, no mother. There is no mother in the picture. So the mother, you know, typically will give you empathy. The mother will give you unconditional love where the father's trying to teach you, right? Mm-hmm. The father in a normal, when you think of the, you know, the... uh aspects of what the father does and what the mother does. The father is trying to teach you. The father will try to teach you how to make a living and how to hunt and how to da da da. And the mother teaches you love and compassion. And there is no mother. But that connection to the crescent moon and the Ottoman Empire is brilliant. That's that's absolutely true. And favoring one sibling over the other. But see then hmm, he kind of starts to like that's the rough part. He's got that Venus and Capricorn and he gets into it, you know, and then this Pluto in the ninth house power, so powerful. But wow, that is one Halloween episode, Chandler. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Uh, well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is right on the money. I think that this is uh, who Vlad Dracula was uh, for for better or for worse. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, he still lauded as a as a hero to the Romanian people to the day. And that's something you know in, in the reading, whether yeah. good or bad, mm-hmm. uh, he he is seen as a hero, right? Um, and uh yes uh, i think it it all bears it out very 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 interesting is uh, there uh, any other things that uh, you want to add about the uh the the chart here and about uh, what we know now of who he was uh it just all makes a lot of sense it it all makes a great deal of sense and uh it's really it it's really it, it amazes me how scientific astrology is and i haven't even i mean all i do in these readings are quick readings these are just the planets in the houses sometimes i don't have houses to put them in and we're still really on point whenever we do this you know mm-hmm. but astrology as a science makes a lot of sense it was removed from the scientific community a little while ago but as we keep proving i mean we are doing the experiments and they keep proving that this is real you know so it's very interesting to me because when i do readings for uh clients who are coming in you know through the show i go into much more depth with you know the aspects and squares and oppositions and trines and all kinds of things and then it gets even more uh detailed you know yeah uh, well, uh, that brings us to uh, the uh, end of this episode. I'd like to thank you all so much for listening. And uh, if you'd like to uh, support the show, uh, we have the links to all of our social media um, posted in the episode description. Uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to have your very own mystery, uh, if you'd like to be your own mystery history mm-hmm. guest, uh, we can make that happen. Uh, we've uh, got an email there, uh, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com. Uh, email that and mom will get with you uh, with more details. Uh, mom, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yes, I'd just like to say I'm having a wonderful time doing readings for you guys. And I can do them uh, remotely. I have already been doing some remotely and it's very fun. And um, also... Uh, Coming up is uh, Christmas and the holidays. And if you would like to give a gift of a reading to someone, then you just let me know and we can make that happen too. Uh, So uh, thank you all so much again for listening. And as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. And also, happy Halloween! Yes, happy Halloween. (laughs) We love you. Bye-bye.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.